the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 14th. It is great to be back on the microphone with all of you listeners. Of course, we call this a daily podcast. We did take these past three days off here at CR to recharge our batteries. You know, it's been, what, 10 straight-ish weeks of tennis, really since World Team Tennis Action kicked off in August, of course, for super producer Daniel Westoff. I'm just happy he got to go a couple of days without hearing my voice. He is back home in Louisville. I am back home in Michigan, and it's great to be back home. I am recording this in my parents' basement, and I know that seems like a weird location for a podcast, but I have recorded so many pods here over the years. It just feels like, you know, there's this scene in one of the newest Star Wars where uh, Han Solo and then Luke Skywalker both return to the Millennium Falcon, and when Han Solo returns, he's with Chewbacca, and he's like, Chewie, we're home. And that's what I feel like right now. I'm just home. I'm back in my element. And so I think today's podcast and just this week's of podcast, this next week of podcasts, is I'm going to be recording them all at home as I hang out with my parents for a little bit. They just wanted to make sure I'm still alive. They wanted to say, oh, how, do you, how does your hair look? Ooh, it's thinning, Alex. And you know, you're 25 now. And so thin hair, 25 years old. If you're not going to, you know, hitch up now, when's your time frame going to be? Anyways, those are the sort of questions I'm fielding. Of course, the classic, whenever I walk in the door, Alex you can apply to law school this year. And of course, all of that is also, you know, added on to there's much love that is sent my direction. I walk in the door. My mom's like, I have so many meals for you this week because she is now a phenomenal chef. It's been one of the best developments of her. You know, she's always been a phenomenal mother. I'll say cooking was probably her one weakness in momhood growing up. And it's not a weakness because, you know, she's so exceptional in everything else. We were well fed. We were well fed with love, affection, all of these different things. Anyways, we were not well fed with her cooked meals. And she has since become an exceptional chef as always whenever she puts her mind to anything she is so good and she now makes these nutella filled chocolate chip cookies that are they're just to die for and so i walk in the door and there's a fresh batch of the nutella chocolate chippers and i'm like mom you spoil me i love you so much and she's like yes alex your father and i are not ready to be empty nesters so please come home and stay for the week and so i said okay i will stay for the week and now we have a podcast because of course while i am here at home the atp action has rolled on we have a jam-packed week of professional tennis and apologies for the tangent again it's just good to be back on the microphone that was my little two-minute synopsis of what i've been up to these past three days when i haven't been speaking with you listeners but of course the atp action continues We've got three events this week, two at the 250 level, one at the 500 level in St. Petersburg. Of course, we've also got two exceptional challenger events as well. And for so many of these players, you know, their their opportunities to play in 2020 were so limited. Of course, we are still in the midst of a global pandemic, and that's something that really should continue to be the, on the front of everyone's minds, not only as we think about these tennis matches unfolding, but of course, we here at Cracked Records are hoping everyone is staying safe, everyone is staying healthy. This is a little thing. Go get your flu shot. It's flu season. Flu season compounded with coronavirus is just, it's a recipe for disaster. So if you can, you can literally go get it at your local CVS. So if you have access, don't be lazy. Go get a flu shot. You can listen to this podcast. By the time you've gotten your, walked into CVS, gotten your flu shot come out, I'll probably be talking about tennis at some point in this episode. So just go get that done. Anyways, of course, there's so much action going on across the globe, and we see so many players, uh, highly ranked players, trying to take advantage of these opportunities finally emerging. And of course, there are safety and health protocols in place. We have seen some positive tests for COVID-19 emerge at a couple of these events, and that is not something 
something I'm going to be talking about today. We are going to bring on my friend, of course, returning champion New York Times' is Ben Rothenberg on the show to talk about our biggest storylines in tennis down the home stretch, I believe, on either to, I'm either going to talk to him tonight or record that tomorrow for a podcast for all of you listeners. But that's something to keep in mind. But of course, with all of these players taking advantage of these playing opportunities, it means the level of tennis is incredible. I mean, you can't be ranked above 300, certainly in the world, unless you're getting a wild card and expect to get into this challenger events, you know, and usually challengers, there's a couple guys, you know, in the 200, 100, 300-ish range, uh, but now it's all top 200 players all playing these events, and of course, we got a couple of young players winning titles last week that I want to touch on on the top. Of course, I also have to give you my thoughts on that incredible French Open final. Rafael Nadal, title number 13, getting to 102 as a career record at Roland Garros, what that all means moving forward. I'm going to talk about all of that today, set the scene for the rest of the week's matches, and of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. If you have any tennis equipment needs, and I am looking forward after recording this podcast, I get to go hit with my little brother, who of course is still in college classes remotely for his first semesters. They are not back on campus. So, you know, we are going to go get a little tennis in our system. And I know I needed an updated set of strings. I needed to refresh after my tennis expeditions last week. I finally broke a string. First time in probably two years. And I was like, wait, I don't think I have any rolls of string on me. Well, the good news was I went to Midwest Sports. They had a plethora of options, the latest strings. I honestly thought about updating my racket frame because those Prince Graphites aren't getting any younger, but of course they've got grips, they've got shirts, they've got shoes, shorts, whatever you may need. They've got it on their website. You go to MidwestSports.com, use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, but you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And then, of course, best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15 to get the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And I just went on this whole rant on chocolate Nutella cookies. I don't imagine my fitness is where I'm going to want it to be today on the court, but yours can be if you turn to Aerobar. Again, you go to their website, Aerobar.com. Use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Be sure to support our friends at Aerobar. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. All right, with that in mind, let's talk a little tennis. And the place I want to start today, and I know it's a few days removed, and maybe you've all moved on from this match, the tennis world. The world right now in general is such a fluid place, things happening so quickly. But I want to take us back to Paris quickly to talk about that men's final between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. And because a couple of days have passed, because I'm an incredible nerd who likes to go back and watch matches one, two, three times to confirm his beliefs, because I also have an ego complex, uh, I went back and watched this match. You know, I watched the full third set immediately after the match finished. And, you know, since then, I've watched the match from start to finish two more times. And the reason I did that is I wanted to confirm my suspicions. Because you look at the scoreline, 6-0, and you think, okay, Rafael Nadal just blew Novak Djokovic out of the water. Djokovic didn't have it. That five-set semifinal with Tsitsipas drained his legs, and he just wasn't on on this day. That could not be further from the truth. Every, this match, this result, this Grand Slam is about Rafael Nadal, who all 
throughout the two weeks at the French Open, I mistakenly said, I just didn't see it. I didn't think he was playing his best tennis. Of course, Nadal is going to Nadal. All of the patterns were there, and he wasn't dropping a set. But it, that had a lot to do, I thought, with the level of competition. You know, Yannick Sinner for a quarterfinal, that's what you want if you're Rafael Nadal. And of course, Sinner played really well. He served for a set. But, you know, Diego Schwartzman, after he lo- after he beat Nadal, I should say, in Rome, you know, no one beats Nadal two events in a, in a row. And so you just see it the way the draw broke for him. It kind of broke perfectly. And I just thought Novak Djokovic had this look in his eyes, this ferocity, and was going to be able to reach uh, another level. And you know, that just wasn't the case. Ultimately, what happened is Rafael Nadal played his A game from start to finish in this match. And that's a testament to Rafael Nadal, who, you know, you're never going to have to worry about his competitive spirit, right? He's never going to have to find his bearings in a match. From start to finish, you're getting 110% of Rafael Nadal. And it was just so amazing to watch him scrap his way through the match. If he got his racket on the ball, it doesn't matter if he was stretched in a corner of the court. It didn't matter what position he was in. If his racket was cleanly struck, if he cleanly strike, struck the ball, uh, there was going to be depth. There was going to be pace. There was going to be all of these different things that were just so incredible. And it he neutralized everything Novak Djokovic tried to do. Go watch that third set again and go tell me Novak Djokovic loses playing like that to any other player in the world. There were times when Djokovic would take a backhand early, take it cross court, try and open up angle for himself. And again, Rafa hits these sliding stretched forehands that would just drop slowly right before the baseline. And, you know, there would be times Djokovic would try and play the swinging volley. Well, then Rafa gets to hit an on-the-run pass, and he's so comfortable doing that. And, you know, Djokovic started trying to go for a little bit more on his shots, started producing more errors. You know, you look in this match for Djokovic, 38 winners against 52 unforced errors. It's because Rafa wasn't missing. Rafa, 31 winners, which feels a little bit low, but only 14 unforced errors. I mean, he was just rock solid. And it was a credit to Novak Djokovic. I talk about that swinging volley. That was the only adjustment to make because it was one of those days Rafa wasn't losing points at the baseline. And eventually he would get his forehand. Eventually he would get into his combos. And eventually... You know, he would, he, he, that's why he's so good on clay. When he gets into those combos, the relentless forehand cross court, forehand cross court, forehand down the line, inside in forehand. You just, you know the combos when you see them. The discipline for Rafa, the backhand, he's always going to take it down the line, bait you into hitting a ball cross court, your backhand cross court to his forehand, and then he gets to get back into his patterns and just, None of that mattered because his patterns were so good on this day. He was so relentless. He mixed in the drop shot when appropriate. And, you know, he just, it didn't matter. You know, on his serve, he did a great job protecting his serve. He made 65% of the first, won 67% of those points, 66% of his second serve points, 7 of 18 on break point chances versus Djokovic's 1 of 5. By the way, Rafa, 50 of 99 on receiving points. Djokovic only wins 49% of his service points. That's because Rafa. Rafa was in every point. Didn't matter if he was serving. Didn't matter if he was returning. If he he could just get the point back to neutral so easily. And you look at the rally splits. The shots that went four or the rallies that went four shots or less. Nadal fifty three, Djokovic twenty five. What that tells you, Nadal was able to get into his plus one patterns on serve a lot more easily than Novak Djokovic was. But across the board, you know the shots, the rallies that went over five shots for the match. Djokovic is at fifty two. Rafa's at fifty three. So not only was Rafa able to to get into his patterns more easily, but he was just better over the course of the longer rallies as well. Simply put, this was Rafa at his finest, and 
I just can't believe he's still able to put forward this performance, folks. I mean, you talk about the things Rafa Nadal has done at Roland Garros. Obviously, the 102 record stands out. Well, spread out over that 102, uh, obviously those two losses means he's got three now 30-plus match winning streaks at Roland Garros. Let me repeat that for you listeners. Three times in his career, he's won 30 matches in a row at a single major. That's just never going to be done again. You look at this match again, 606275. Since 2005, and all of these stats come from at Ro- only Roger can fly, one of the best in the business on tennis Twitter. Since 2005, only four times has a number one player in the world been bageled. Three times the person doing the bageling was Rafael Nadal. All three of those times, it came on clay. I mean, again, you look for Rafa now. He's at 100 wins at a slam. Only he and Federer have achieved that. Federer did it at Wimbledon and the Australian Open. Rafa's now done it here at Roland Garros. You look at Rafa's just numbers, and this comes from the ATP Media Info. He's lost 27 sets in 15 years at Roland Garros. He loses less than, not two sets a match, he loses less than two sets a year at Roland Garros. I mean, 102 in matches, that's a 98% win percentage. 299-27 in sets, that's a 92% win percentage. He's 27-1 versus top 10 opponents. He's 26-0 in semifinals and finals. He has 20 sets that he's won six love. He's 7-1 against the world number one. He's won four titles without losing a set. I mean... He's only been pushed to a fifth set twice. That could also be just as impressive as any of those other numbers, that people have only gotten Rafa to the fifth twice at Roland Garros. You know, you start to put a list of accomplishments together, and of course, too often we leave out the accomplishments of Steffi Graf, of Martina Navratilova, of Chrissy Everett, obviously of what Serena Williams has accomplished at various different events. Chris Everett at the French Open, you know, arguably as good, if not better, and same with Steffi as Rafa, but I mean, what, Phelps at the Olympics, Bill Russell's Celtics... I'm sure I'm forgetting some sort of track person in history's past. There have been some outstanding track athletes in, you know, the world's history. I don't know. Julius Caesar, early on as Rome, he was pretty good at defending the city. Like, who else? Moses, he's undefeated against the Egyptians, I suppose. But, like, I mean, in terms of accomplishments, put this up there at any—Rafael Nadal— is better at clay court tennis than arguably any individual has been at their profession ever in the history of the world. I mean, seriously, like, even prime Genghis Khan was losing battles at these random villages, right? Even, uh, name them. I, I was talking, and, you know, thankfully, but I was talking to one of my friend's parents who's an OB-GYN. I was like, if you could do your last 102 deliveries again, there's probably three you would like back, right? Where you're like, ah, oh, you know, oh, thankfully the baby was healthy, all these different things, but I wish I could have done this differently. For Rafa to be 102 in his career at Roland Garros, it's just, it's stunning, folks. It's absolutely stunning. And so my thoughts, again, I didn't talk much about Novak Djokovic, who uh, loses this final, and, you know, now he only wins one Grand Slam in 2020. He probably had two penciled in if you're a Djokovic fan for this year, and you look at the all-time race now, of course, Nadal's at 20 slams, Roger's at 20 slams, Djokovic is at 17. 
I don't really want to talk about that right now because we'll have plenty of time to talk about that later. But Rafael Nadal at the French Open. I mean, again, he's the favorite. If if next year, because I do this every year, I'm looking for a reason to pick against him. Team or Djokovic better have one, or whoever it may be I pick, better have one hell of a clay court season, right? They better win Rome. They better win Madrid. They better win Barcelona. They better win everything. Because if they don't, even if he loses once, maybe even twice, Rafa's the favorite at Roland Garros until until he loses, until he loses multiple years in a row. And until that moment happens, he's just the guy to beat. And it's just, it's really remarkable. It's really enjoyable to watch as a tennis fan that he continues to hit this level of play. Uh, but those are my thoughts on the French Open final. And obviously, it was an outstanding French Open. Jamie McDonald and I came together to give out some awards, obviously some on a funnier note, some recapping where we're at following this tennis-wise on both the men's and women's tours. To find all of those awards, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed or go check out our YouTube channel and you can watch Jamie and I give out the awards as well as our smiling faces as we are doing it. Uh, but those are our thoughts on the French Open. I'm sure we will talk about it a little bit more throughout this week. And I should say, again, as I mentioned, Ben Rothenberg going to be joining me later this week. There's no way that doesn't have some sort of French Open conversation leaking into it. But uh, with that in mind, I also want to quickly recap the challengers that finished up from last week that started during that second week of the French Open because, of course, we had two notable results. We started here at Cracked Rackets. Next-gen men are our bread and butter. That is the group we have followed closely, you know. Age-wise, I always say I'm 25 years old now. I'd like to think I am aging through tennis media alongside of this group. And we had two notable results. One of them, a guy we have talked about very, very frequently here at Cracked Rackets, Francis Tiafo. And, you know, uh, the conversation about Francis Tiafo's forehand, don't worry, we're not going to be having that today. But you watch Francis Tiafo play, and, you know, he was a fourth-round appearance at the U.S. Open. He's made the quarterfinals at a major before. He's been right around top 30 in the world. But he struggled. You know, he's lost a lot of three-set matches over these past couple of years, and, uh, you know, for him, he was on the precipice of dropping out of the top 100 at the start of 2020, and, you know, since the restart, he has been on top of his game. I believe now, after he wins the challenger in Parma last week, knocks out Salvatore Caruso, who's been playing outstanding tennis of late, in three sets in the final, also beats Federico Del Bonis, another top 100 player in the semifinals. And I know the litmus test for Tiafo shouldn't be, can he beat top 100 players? Because to be in the top 100, you have to be a top 100 player. And we obviously all have higher expectations for Francis than just top 100. But it was the consistency he showed this week. The way he bounced back, I mean, it was a really tough draw for the number one seeded Tiafo. Blas Rola, the former NCAA champion, big lefty, you know, that's a, he's coming out with confidence as well. That's a tough match. And then, you know, in his next match, he gets a revenge win over talented young Italian Lorenzo Musetti, who may not be top 100, but is certainly playing at a top 100 level. We saw what he did in the clay build up to the French Open. You know, Tiafo, a three-set victory, by the way, if you hear that background, I am truly in my parents' basement. That means when you hear the sewage pipes going, it means I am home. Welcome back, Alex. I appreciate that, Dad. Um, anyways, I'm just assuming it's him. Anyways, um, you know, for Tiafo uh, against Lorenzo Musetti, uh, the three-set victory, if you watch the match, 6-3, 3-6, and we're not going to go into the stats. And by the way, to find all of these challenger matches, I'll say it again, livestream.com slash ATP. Uh, it was just the the determination in Francis Tiafo's face. First of all, he came out that first set 
hot off the gun from start, you know, from the start, was making the return deep, putting pressure on the Musevi backhand, and just keeping the ball with good depth, playing to big, safe targets. And you know, Musetti's a big stri- is a big shot maker, but he's also still very, very young. And so Tiafo just made that match so physical, uh, and it was a really impressive three-set win. Of course, he followed it up with win over the qualifier Baldi, who had a really good win over Gianluca Magere the day before, and then the wins over Delbonis and Caruso. And now for Francis Tiafo who, again, new coach in his life in Wayne Ferreira, and you can see it paying dividends the way he just looks so comfortable physically, and we've always said three out of five sets will always be a format at the majors that favors Francis Tiafo because when a match gets physical, you always favor him, um, or, you know, because then he gets to start playing tricky, now he gets to start playing slice, he gets to make the match ugly, that's what he wants to do. Uh, of course, he's got the nice weapons as well, but everything just looks a little bit more solid. Everything just looks... Again, it's the combination of experience, of match play, of keeping things simple, and you know, confidence. Uh, confidence leads to good results, and so for Tiafo now, you know, with this challenger victory, with the U.S. Open results, even the first round five set loss to Jan Leonard Struff was a really good performance for Tiafo. He's back up to number sixty-two in the world, and again. Now he doesn't have to worry about things like getting into ATP 250s to start the year, and he should, you know, eventually you don't want to have to play qualifying at the Masters events, but he should get in to every Masters event at the qualifying level at a minimum with that ranking back up to number 62. And again, Tiafo's only 22 years old. He's had a lot of success, but I think we can all agree the best is still yet to come from him. There's still so many things he can get better at, right? Reining in the forehand, becoming better on the forehand return as that's the most glaring weakness. That's the thing opponents will continue to go after. But, you know, he's the variety he's capable of playing with, that's never been in question. His comfortable, how comfortable he is moving forward, that's always been a great skill for him. And then again, he's never afraid of the moment. And there are just intangible qualities for Francis Tiafo that you can't teach. And it's nice to see the tennis starting to catch up with those qualities. And again, back up to number 62 in the world. It did feel like his breakthrough happened really, really fast. Uh, and now he's starting to show the week in, week out, uh, results consistent uh, or the consistency in his results that you need again to be a consistent top 50 player top 30 player which is the sort of level Francis Tiafo is certainly capable of reaching so a great result for him again to win this a great result for Salvatore Caruso who continues to play well I thought for Alexi Popperin who Clay has never been his best surface the young Australian to make the semifinals beats Vikovic who's been playing really well beats Alex Muller beats Juan Ignacio Ignacio Landero obviously takes, you know, Landero I think gets hurt in that match, uh, but he takes advantage of his opportunity. So that was a really fun result in Parma. And then in Barcelona, young Carlos Alcaraz, who we've talked about a bunch here on this podcast. He won a challenger, I believe, earlier in the year. And then he, uh, you know, he's had some good results since the restart. But, you know, he earned another challenger title for the 17-year-old. This time on the clay, he knocks off Demir Zumher, 4-6-6-2-6-1, worth noting. That on the day of that final, he actually had to finish his semifinal match. He was playing Andrea Colarini, was up 6 3, 5 4, got broken serving for the match. Then a rainstorm came, so good for him to get the break and the hold right back. Gets to the final 4 6 6 2 6 1. Zoom her, not really a big enough weapon to hurt Alcaraz, who played aggressive, who took risks, and you know. I won't do a full breakdown of Carlos Alcaraz's game. I'll save that for another time. But, you know, here's the list of players with multiple uh, ATP challenger titles who were younger. 
than Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz, two titles by 17 years in five months. Tomic did it at 17, three months. And, you know, Bernard Tomic not being a successful tennis player had nothing to do with his tennis talent. Uh, and you could argue he still was successful, by the way. So Bernard Tomic, Rafa Nadal, who did it at 17, one month. Felix Ogier Aliassime, who did it at 17 and one month. And Richard Gasquet, who did it at 16 years and eight months. The point being... You don't have this sort of success if it's not legitimate. You don't just get hot twice as a 17-year-old and then never get hot again the rest of your career. And Carlos Alcaraz, again, throw him on the Davidovich, Fokina, Kasparud, Haumi Munar list of players who you're just like, yeah, these guys on clay, are Christian Guerin, are going to be top 30 threats throughout the course of their career. And I want to see a little bit more from Alcaraz on the other surfaces, but it's impossible to not see his game, not see the upside, the movement, you know, the the heaviness of his ball and not be excited. Just This next gen is here, folks. And again, and they haven't broken in the way the women have, but they're getting closer and closer. There's no Iga Sviantek in the group, uh, but there are a lot of awfully talented players, certainly. And it's just a reason for us to be excited for this tennis down the home stretch. And, you know, with that in mind, let's talk about the events we're going to see this week. We've already seen some play underway. I was fortunate. I took... Sunday, I drove home from India, and it was one of my college roommates' uh, birthday, and you know, I got to go see him in Ann Arbor, and so I didn't watch any tennis Sunday, didn't watch any tennis really Monday. That's probably the first two days I've taken off from watching tennis, I don't know, since I was 15, 14 maybe, and didn't have access to watching tennis all of the time, but you know, I did get the chance yesterday to catch up on all of the action. I watched, I think, the entire Nuno match versus Demir Zumher, A, because I wanted to see the drama, B, because as you know here at this podcast, we end DN. We never doubt Nuno, and so it was incredible uh, to watch that match. I'll talk about it in a little bit, but I also got to catch up on all of the action in St. Petersburg, and I'm recording this podcast about 2.15 on Wednesday, so Wednesday's matches are also in the books, and it's shaping up to be a really fun weekend of tennis, and we talked about this at the top. A lot of these players playing these events, younger players who are looking for opportunities to either get reps on the ATP 250, ATP 500 level, or build their ranking from 75, 60, that Tiafo zone too, where maybe a Hubi Hercots is or a Riley Opelka. And then for those guys, they're trying to break the top 20. They're trying to put themselves in a position to have really special 2021 seasons or you know really special returns to tour whenever the tour goes back to being normal, to being a full-time scheduled uh professional, I suppose, league. Uh, but listen to these round of 16 matchups we have moving forward. We've got Daniil Medvedev versus Riley Opelka, both three set winners. And hello, who doesn't like that matchup? We've got Roman Safilian, uh, a young Russian wild card who, if you would have asked me five years ago, which next-gen guy did I think gonna, is going to break the top 100 and be at the top of the list, I would have picked Roman Safilian, who's had a lot of injury problems throughout his career, who's had a really difficult time staying healthy. But when healthy, he's put together really special runs at the challenger circuit and again he was a top flight junior he was a guy who had a lot of success at the futures level when he was you know younger than 18 years old he's going to take on Borna Chorch who we're all wondering if healthy Chorch was a guy who another guy three years ago he would have been even higher up he would have been probably the top next gen guy or right there with Alex Vera and of course he's a quarterfinalist at the U.S. Open we're back on indoor hard courts here in St. Petersburg that's part of what makes that Medvedev Opelka matchup so fun but that's going to be a good one 
Hatchinov taking on another uh, qualif- or another Russian wild card in Karatsev. That's a good one. Sasha Bublik versus Milos Raonic. I guess if you like big, big serving, that's for you. By the way, for Sasha Bublik, if he wins out in 2020, so wins this event, wins every other event on the schedule. So he's got to win Paris. He's got to play a couple 250s and win those as well. And then a couple of other losses happen. He is still eligible to make the year-end finals. I think that's a scenario all of us can root for, but that's the top half on the draw. On the bottom half, Cam Norrie, two really impressive wins. Three sets over Taylor Fritz, then three sets over Miramir Kasmenovic. He'll play the winner of a fun matchup between Ugo Umber and Andre Rublev, two of what the... 15 winningest players during this 2020 season. Umber winning a title uh, earlier this season. Rublev, we don't need to talk about his success, obviously, as we have many a times here on this podcast. And then on the bottom half, it's going to be Stan Wawrinka, who survived a couple of match points against Dan Evans, taking on Evgeny Donskoy. They'll play the winner in their round of, or I believe in their round of 16. No, that is a round of 16 match. Uh, That winner in the quarterfinals will take on the winner of Ilya Avashka, who got over his bathroom problems against Adrian and Manorino. Go look it up if you have these questions. Um, uh, he's going to take on number two seeded Denis Shapovalov, who is a straight set winner over Victor Troisky. And again, what is a the theme we see here? Shapovalov, Rublev, Umber, Kasmenovich, Nori, Bublik, Hachinov, Chorich, Opelka, Safilian, Medvedev. These guys are all 25, 24 years and younger, and obviously they don't have the sort of career earnings as some of the older, more established veterans. They're still looking for their big breakthroughs. They're still looking to put themselves in positions to qualify for year-end finals, to be seated at Masters events, all of these different things. And so uh, the action is going to be incredible. You know, Medvedev today lost the first set against Richard Gasquet. Gasquet was playing just out of this world, and then Medvedev righted the ship. So again, that is one I will certainly be watching closely for Cam Norrie. I mean, indoor hard courts, the guy just looks so comfortable. His ability to move the ball around the court in that match versus Kasmanovic was really, really delightful. So great to see Norrie have some success coming off of that U.S. Open run where he beat Diego Schwartzman, follows that up with another really successful, you know, Clay has never been his best surface, but now that we're back on the hard courts, great to see his level maintain. And so it's going to be a really fun week of action in St. Petersburg. Of course, there are a couple of 250 events going on as well. You look in Colonia, Germany, and of course, why would I not, as both Zverevs, I believe, are in action there this week. It's still really fun set of matches. You've got Jill Simone taking on Roberto Bautista Agut. I believe Hubi Hercats is playing Misha Zverev as I'm recording this. Radu Elbad going to play the winner of Laxanen FAA. You've got a Davidovich Fokina Marin Cilic matchup tomorrow that should have everyone really excited. The winner of that going to play Dennis Novak. Of course, Steve Johnson, a really good three-set win over Philip Krajinovic. He'll now play Lloyd Harris, who we talked about. He made a semifinal at the challenger level before the French Open. I believe he won his first-round match. The young South African player, 6-6, going to fire cannons at that Johnson backhand serve. And really good win for Harris over Kyle Edmund, who just so streaky right now. I continue to think Kyle Edmund's got a lot of game. I think his backhand's gotten a lot better. I think he's gotten a lot more athletic. He just can't get over the finish line right now. Can't close out sets and matches and you know, struggled to do that against Harris as well. So uh, that, of course, is another round of 16. And then tomorrow we get Sasha Zverev taking on Fernando Verdasco. Verdasco, 4-4 four and four win over 
And Andy Murray, who's still trying to find his form. And again, any tennis we see from Andy Murray is a cherry on top of one of the greatest careers in tennis history, male or female. But obviously, we would love to see him play at a little bit of a higher level as well as someone who... You know, thank the Lords I don't have to suffer through a Zverev Murray matchup again because I would have cried. You know, the last one, what they played at Western and Southern, right? Zverev, I think, won in three sets. That wasn't great for my hairline. This one wouldn't have been either, but still. Alex Zverev at an ATP 250 would love to know what they paid him in an appearance fee to play this event, but should be a really fun one as well. I'm just going to throw this out there. A Zverev FAA or a Zverev Hercots final, uh, that would be a really fun championship Sunday. So hopefully we get to see some of that action in Sardinia, another ATP 250 underway, this one on the clay courts. So it's not going to surprise anyone uh, to learn that we have uh, some of our favorites in action here on the clay. You look across the board for tomorrow. You've got Danilo Petrovic, the lucky loser, taking the spot of number one seeded Fabio Fognini, who, of course, tested positive for COVID-19, and we are wishing him a speedy and safe recovery. Uh, but Petrovic going to take on Federico Del Bonis, who makes the quarterfinals here, continues his good level that we saw at the Challengers last week. And Again, I'm going to keep... Should I stop calling it the challenger level? I'm just going to call it... No. Well, I call it challenger tennis, but I hope you know challenger tennis is synonymous with 250s. It's just instead of 250s, they call them challengers. But all of these players are so phenomenal right now. And, you know, obviously, Dalbon is showing that level. He comes the next week here. Now he's in the quarterfinals. On the bottom half of the draw, some really... Or uh, elsewhere in the draw, I should say, some really fun matchups. Mute knocking off Tiafo. He's going to play Albert Ramos-Vinoles. You've got a Chechenato tommy Paul battle. That'll be fun. Musetti versus Pellegrino. Yannick Hanna who's been playing so well of late. He's going to get another shot at Casper Ruud. Uh, those are two guys so comfortable on the dirt. And then, of course, Yuri Vesely, the big serving former world junior number one lefty, who, sneaky good 2020. Where is Yuri Vesely right now in the rankings? I'm going to guess Yuri Vesely is at, yeah, I was going to say around top 70. He's number 64, which I know he's 27 years old, but there were times when I thought he was going to be a big bust because you look the big lefty, beautiful serve, big forehand, comfortable moving forward, all of these different things. Um, he Better career than I expected in the end. But anyways, uh, or better career than I expected. He has done better, and I still think there's some untapped potential is what I'm trying to say. The guy is just a tricky out, and he's become more and more confident at executing his own game. Uh, it's going to be really fun to watch him take on Jur. In the, in the quarterfinals, I believe that match will be, what, Friday then? In that case, so a day off for both of those players tomorrow. But those are the ATP events. And again, no WTA events, I believe, this week. The scheduling moving forward for the tours will be one of the storylines we talk about when Ben is on the podcast. But, you know, again, some outstanding challenges this week. One in Italy, I believe. The other one going on this week in Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, in, in Italy, you have okay, all of our favorite youngsters in the draw, right? You've got Pedro Martinez Portero. He's made the quarterfinals. He's going to take on Thomas Machak. Uh, I believe you've also got Alex Vukic, the former Illinois All-American, who is working closer and closer towards that top 100. I believe Vukic now, I think he's inside the top 150 for the first time. No, inside the top 200 now at number 182 in the live rankings, which would be a new career high for the uh, 24-year-old. And, you know, he looks more and more comfortable on the clay as he gets more reps. No one's going to deny 
Nikolai Vukic's capabilities as an athlete. He's into the quarterfinals. Carlos Alcaraz, again, playing this week. He'll play Daniel Galan, who we all know looked so good. He knocked off Tennis Sandgren, got to the third round of the French Open. That's a really fun matchup. Young uh, young Spaniard Nicola Kuhn uh, in the draw on Pablo Vicovic, who's played really well. He knocked off Carlos Taberner round one. He's in the draw. So really fun action across the globe. Again, it, uh, that is the action uh, going on uh, in Italy, in Portugal. Munar, the number one seed, he knocked out former NCAA singles finalist, NCAA team champion in Wake Forest, Borna Gojo. In the round of 16, he is going to take on Alex Muller in the quarterfinals. Yesterday's drama, Nuno Borges, who again, if you haven't watched Nuno play, you're going to be thrown off a little bit at first. It's not the most beautiful form, but just watch the way the ball explodes off of his forehand wing. Watch how easy he makes everything look on a tennis court. There may not be you know, again, the top 3% of just gifted coordinate, coordination, gifted hands, he's not the most natural athlete, and how good of an athlete Nuno Borges becomes will define his upside as a professional tennis player, but man, does that guy have hands, and that was a really good win for him over Zoom Her in straight sets, of course. You've also got some other really fun players on the draw. Uh, in the draw, your Dimitri Popkos, your Petra Sosas, Gian- Giancolo Oliveira, uh, Dimitar Kuzmanov, Alessandro Gianessi. It's going to be a really fun week of action. So, of course, be sure to tune into all. Uh, be sure to tune into this mini break, week in, week out, day in, day out, as we follow all of it unfold. And again, the three-day hiatus is over. The ATP Tour is back. We here at Cracked Rackets ready to be back with it. So, of course, I will remind you, if you have missed anything from the 2020 French Open that you want to catch up on, you want to hear more about what is going on the ATP Tour, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, where you can find this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast, and you can like, rate, subscribe, review to all of those shows. Of course, our GSP Aces of the Day going to continue to rock and roll tomorrow morning. I'm back on my game. I'm, I, you know, I want. I needed a day to catch up and actually watch the tennis, so I can have some facts behind my advice. But those picks can be coming out every morning on our GSP feed and in article form on our website. So be on the lookout for all of those things, and then be on the lookout for some of our written pieces. I know Luke Moorhead's writing a really fun one right now about each of Rafa's 20 slams and ranking them. I've got some fun stuff coming up too. Uh, so be on the lookout for all of that. And of course, as always, shout out. To both our super producers, Max Lingner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. And shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. Uh, and again, it's not just going to be this pod this week. The GSP rocking and rolling our Cracked interviews. We'll have a podcast for all of you tomorrow rocking and rolling. So be on the lookout for all of those things. But... For our wonderful super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.